Good evening and welcome to The Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Tim. The Midnight Owl is a proud member of the Not After 30 podcast network. The Midnight Owl is looking in the fridge to see what we got. Microwavable burrito. Oh, some pierogies. Shit, we got sour cream. Look, a fresh head of broccoli and some ranch dip. I wonder, has anyone ever nuked a burrito and had it not be lava hot on the ends and ice in the middle? What if that was the way it was meant to be? This week, listener, part two of Cannabis Culture. Bong water and big dreams. I know you're supposed to tell kids not to do drugs, but kids do it. Do weed. Don't do other stuff, but weed is good. Kevin Smith. Is marijuana addictive? Yes, in the sense that most of the really pleasant things in life are worth endlessly repeating. Richard Neville. I used to smoke marijuana, but I'll tell you something. I would only smoke it in the late evening. Oh, occasionally the early evening, but usually the late evening, or the mid-evening. Just the early evening, mid-evening, and late evening. Or the mid-evening, just the early evening, mid-evening, and late evening. Occasionally the early afternoon, or early mid-afternoon, or perhaps the late mid-afternoon. Oh, sometimes the early, mid, late, early morning. But never at dusk. Never at dusk. No, I would never smoke it at dusk. Oh, never, never, never. Because that's when the little fat man would come. And they would do things to me. They'd go, And I liked it. Steve Martin. I'm curious to know in time as the acceptance of weed grows, at least within Canadian society, what long-term impacts it will have on people's lives. The decisions we make when we are young have rippling effects into adulthood. The doors or avenues that will be open or closed to us. Like I said in last week's episode, we as humans need friction to push us into new experiences and grow. A plant given no sunlight and no water will never claw its way out of the soil. It will not tirelessly fight gravity. And therefore, it'll never flower, so to speak. That's got to be one thing in drinking's favor. When you're young, you go out, you act foolish, you meet lots of people, and you have a bunch of nights you barely remember. But you learn to socialize. You learn to talk to girls. Kind of hard to get out and meet girls when you're high in the attic with the same folks over and over again. On the other hand, when you're smoking weed, you won't get into a fist fight. You don't wake up feeling sick. Cannabis costs a lot less. The music is better. And some of the absolute best conversations I have ever had have come from those basements and attics and side streets I snuck off to smoke weed in. The rest of my life, I will be chasing those conversations. 
I want to share my love right now for those that have endured and entertained those rambling back and forths. I am glad I am old enough now to realize you don't need weed for those combos. It helps, but it's not necessary. You just need to start with the right person. Pose a what if and see where the conversation goes. Like, what if I gave you a million dollars, but the cuffs of your pants are always wet? Would you take it? What if everyone knew Clark Kent was Superman, but they were just humoring him? Is a hot dog a sandwich? What if in a world gone mad, no one could see the simple truth that a deep fried pickle was a french fry? Maybe that's why stoners are drawn to Kevin Smith and podcasting in general. I want to see a statistic of how many podcast listeners are potheads. It's funny, as I was writing this section, I was reminded of a conversation I had with a buddy. He was a bar owner in our town here. Bars have never been an easy business to run, but with the advent of dating apps and increase in severity of the drinking and driving laws, not many people go out anymore. Seriously, go downtown in my area on a Friday night and there is nothing. The occasional meth head or pill head darting from sidewalk to sidewalk in the downtown, but not much else. I wonder if those like hardcore drug users have a pecking order. Like, oh, I use heroin. I'm so much cooler than the oxy guy. <sighs> I don't blame anyone for not going to the bars either. No one can afford to leave their houses anymore. Rent in Ontario is becoming outrageously high. I pay the same rent in a city of 50,000 people as someone living downtown Ottawa, our nation's capital. Hell man, that's not even completely true. I can't afford to live in that town of 50,000 people. I have to live in one town over with two senior citizens to afford rent. I make a decent wage, but there's no way I could afford a two-bedroom apartment on my salary unless I went down to bread and water. $1,700 plus utilities and bills. Who can get ahead? I have absolute respect for the people raising kids on minimum wage. Because how? I am almost out of any kind of debt. But some days I take a look and I wonder, why should I care? Why not go on vacation and get decent material things? Rack up a bunch of debt and fuck my credit over. Because it's not like I can afford a house in the next 10 years. You have to have at least 10% down. If you want a home that isn't going to need hundreds of hours of repairs and upgrades that will cost you tens of thousands of dollars, you're looking up around $300,000. That's $30,000 you have to have in hand. I clawed my way up out of poverty to lower middle class to look around and see all the gates are still there and I can't afford to get through them. Pay to play, people. It's a good thing I never intend to own a home. Let's go back to the bar thing and talk about going out for a night. It's over $5 for a beer, over 20 for a meal, double that if you're on a date. A movie ticket is $14 and a popcorn and pop is, what, 30 Again, to the parents out there, how they ever take their kids to the theater is fucking beyond me. If no one is going out and exploring our cities, it becomes harder to expand your social circle. As the single guy in a group of married people, it's a daunting task to get up out of the basement and go to social events to meet new people by yourself. 
when I start getting the itch to be amongst the living, I think about going out to town to be around other people, but why would I ever go to a bar to listen to crap music, spend over $100 on drinks, and have to find a ride into and out of town? I What, like I could spend $150 on a hotel room? I wouldn't know anybody. I wouldn't be able to talk to anybody because of the loud-ass music. I am still the same kid that I was at the much music dances back in the day. Remember when those came to our schools? I just hung out on the walls watching the clock. The only difference now is that I'm older, and more annoyed by the smell of stale alcohol and vapid kids. Think about a 20-year-old version of the old man that I've become. Rent for most people is over $1,500. Cell phone, hydro, car payments, student loans, and insurance while struggling to get anything more than a minimum wage job and having a fridge with some groceries in it. Compare that to $10 for a gram. And a gram can last you a couple of days if you smoke bongs or pipes. Netflix is 15 bucks a month and dating apps are free. What other options do kids really have? It becomes so easy to say no to going out. The more that you don't go out, the easier it becomes. Hell, there's even a line of memes for people that consistently bail on plans now. But life happens outside of the house. Experience makes longer-lasting memories than mundane nothingness. It's no wonder why musicians are suffering if bars can't get filled. It's easy to see why people are suffering from anxiety in social situations when they can't get out there and learn how to be around other people. I've heard some conspiracy theories about why the government has done a 180 on cannabis laws. If you keep people going to and from work, safely in their homes, high and content watching Netflix, they're easier to control. A more docile populace won't get in the way of the important people running the governmental machine. What does this mean for our civilization down the road as weed becomes more accepted? Is it possible that something new will come in and take the place of the bars? All we have to do is solve the secondhand smoke issues and avoid people driving under the influence and we're there. Half the battle has already been won with edibles and infused drinks becoming legal. Personally, I'd like to see cannabis coffee shops and board game cafes open up. What kind of evolution in cannabis culture do you want to see or hope for? What do you hope doesn't happen? I was the first person in my circle of friends after college to get a job in their field. That took me over two years, and I ended up 30 hours away from home and everyone I knew for that privilege. Some buddies had to go to the UK or China for work. Most had to go into an industry completely unrelated to their schooling. Will kids coming up today, knowing how hard they will have to fight for a job in their field, feel the pressure of their lives trying to get started? Stay home, avoid the rejection, and save money. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Chit-chat about meaningless shit. Swipe, swipe, swipe. We all carry our scars with varying degrees of pride. My personal scar of the post-college bar going is a life lesson I'll take to my grave. I was turned down trying to buy a pretty girl a drink while Lady Gaga's poker face blared in the background, taunting my failure. I could read her poker face. It read no. The meaning of that lesson? I couldn't fucking tell you. Maybe it's a good thing that the bar scene is dying. 
Can you imagine getting shot down to mumble rap featuring Ozzy while kids spastically dance around high on Tide Pods? The point is, kids, you're dumb. As your friend, I'm going to tell you one last time, hold off on the weed, dog. Make friends. Live life. Do the kids still say dog? When I was young, smoking weed, it always seemed like it was something dangerous if we got caught. It was a secret cult that you had to be initiated into if someone thought you were cool. You just might be invited into the circle. But sometimes you had to figure this stuff out on your own. You hear stories all the time of people's first time, their initiation, if you will. One of my favorites of these stories is of a brother and a sister that smoke weed for the first time in their parents' basement together. They had gotten a gram of weed, they went to a little convenience store and got their papers, and they decided they were going to smoke a joint, just to see what it was like. Not having the internet and not wanting to seem uncool, they decided to just figure it out on their own. But not knowing what to do, they took the nuggets, put them whole into a rolling paper, and rolled up their first joint. Try as they might inhaling, the darn thing was next to impossible to smoke. Looking back with my extensive experience, it seems kind of innocently sweet, like a coming-of-age story. But how in the hell were they supposed to figure out how to cut up the weed, remove the stems and seeds, how to roll a joint, put in a filter if they were going to get fancy? How would they have known how to handle their high with no context to how smoking weed would have affected them? I mean, now kids have the internet, but that seems really boring. It takes the adventure out of a rite of passage. Should I see smoking weed as a rite of passage? Over the years, I've introduced a bunch of people to weed for the first time. I call this being a Sherpa. A guide, so to speak, up the mountain. Get it? A guide to getting high? A Sherpa? I am really funny, folks. As a Sherpa for people showing them their first steps on the path of smoking weed, I tried to talk most of them out of it. I never let anyone smoke for the first time when they were drinking. Number one, weed and alcohol always makes me puke. Someone's first session ending in vomiting will not be pleasant. Number two, if you're drunk or buzzed, it's easy to make decisions your sober self won't make, like smoking weed in the first place. If you've never smoked weed, you need to go into it fairly relaxed. You need to trust your Sherpa. When you're high, your thoughts can shift. You're still you, but you can easily withdraw into these thoughts. A negative thought that pops up and won't leave because you don't have that same kind of self-control. It appears and it begins to circle around and around in your mind, gathering up other negative thoughts until you're left with just a ball of anxiety and fear. If you aren't prepared for that loss of control... It's easy to panic and try to reach out for your sober self, unable to grab onto it. Your Sherpa is here to help guide you around those thoughts. Help you focus on something lighter. If you don't trust them, all they are is an annoying voice getting in the way of your pity party. I have heard about people's first experiences and wonder why the hell they kept smoking. I, I don't even remember my first time, really. It was probably at a campfire with some buddies. But I do remember my college roommates first. He was a great guy and mostly a teetotaler. I think he drank, but I don't remember ever having a drink with him. Either way, we got along, and he didn't seem to mind the scent of skunk coming through the res vents between our rooms. I had a blowy, but that can only do so much. 
A blowy is a toilet paper roll filled with bounced laundry sheets, with another laundry sheet covering the end, with an elastic band holding it in place. Nothing was worse than after a month of use taking a closer look at it and seeing the yellowed marks from where you were breathing out. I can't imagine what my lungs look like. Actually, at the pot convention I was at, a guy was selling this high-tech blowy with replaceable filters and a metal body that could be cleaned. This dude is going to make a million dollars, and I'll add it into the show notes after this if I can find his name and his company. So, back to my roommate's first time. Uh, We're going to call him Bill. My roommate Bill had approached me about wanting to try weed. He knew that like 90% of our hall smoked up and was curious about it. I told Bill, hey buddy, I'm going off to class, I'll be back tonight, and I'll smoke you up. This was intended to give him a few hours to reevaluate if it's really what he wanted to do, or if he was just feeling the pressure to be cool. I had a long day and was dragging my heels getting back to the res. The res was like a dozen steps away from the college, but it wasn't connected so I knew I'd have to slog through the courtyard to get home. It was winter and I had to shove the door open against the cold and the buildup of that damp snow. The flip-flops that I wore because I was a grease bag that thought somehow this made me cool were no protection. Head down against the weather, I began to scuttle across the path, trying not to freeze my ass off, and I look up and see flashing lights of an ambulance. Oh, how I laughed. Ha 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 ha. What if that's Bill? Ha 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 ha. I go upstairs and Bill wasn't in his room. Concerning, but not out of the ordinary. I went across the hall and knocked on the neighbor's door to find out about the ambulance. The boys looked sheepish and friggin' blazed right out of their tree. Apparently Bill couldn't wait for me. He had gone up the hall to see if the guys would smoke him up instead. Of the dozen ways that they could have brought him into our world, they chose one of the most intense. The guys initiate him into the world of weed by hotboxing the bathroom. A hotbox is when you smoke weed in an enclosed space. You know you're doing it right if you have a full session in the room and it's full of smoke. In the movies, it's exaggerated to the point of a huge cloud of billowing smoke that comes out and around the people as they exit. Usually in the movies, the smoke is so thick that you can't even see the person across from you. I guess the idea is that you're re-inhaling the smoke as you're hanging out. A hot box can be in a car, small room, or a closet. Hey kids, let's rap for a minute. It's your cool Uncle Tim. Smoking weed in a car is extremely fucking stupid. You will lose your license, your insurance will jump up like crazy, and that shit will follow you around no matter where you go. People will tell you the same bullshit about how much better they drive when they're high. Keep this in mind, because you're not going to listen to me, but just have it at the back of your head. If you go to -to head-to-head with another car, even if it's not your fault, there was black ice, someone else made a bad call and came into your lane, blah 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 blah. Being high, your reaction time is slowed. You could hurt another human being. Maybe it's a family coming home from a late night hockey game. Maybe someone's sister was just going to work. Maybe someone's friend was coming back from grabbing a cup of coffee. Justify it all you want. You're the person that's going to have to look yourself in the mirror for the rest of your life and know that you hurt somebody because you drove when you probably shouldn't have. Sorry for the preaching, folks. Back to the story. 
A session or a sesh is a group of people hanging out smoking weed for a period of time. The most exclusive version of a session is a hotbox. Hotboxing is a lot of fun with the right people, to be honest. When I was younger, we would get so excited for a hotbox. It was such a rare treat that we would have the proper space or timing and we wouldn't get caught. Now that I'm an adult, I don't want my house smelling of rank, stale smoke. All the towels in the bathroom having a weird stank. I'm not made of money and I don't want to have to go out and replace a nasty smelling shower curtain. And not to be too much of a hypocrite, because I'm going to amend this statement, if I was offered a hotbox at another location, I'd probably be pretty happy to join in. Just not in my space. The most high-end, the most Rolls-Royce version of a hotbox is in a small bathroom. You have to get the shower going as hot as possible with a towel under the door. The room fills with steam and mixes with the smoke, and I don't know, it opens up your lungs. Well, poor Bill got the Rolls-Royce treatment for his first sesh. I don't think Bill really trusted these guys. He just pressured himself into trying it. It's hard when you see everyone around you doing something and not trying dipping your toes in. But Bill couldn't handle it. He'd gotten too high. They tried to keep him calm, get him to eat, put on some low-key TV. They tried to get him into the shower, but nothing would work. I'm not going to judge what these guys did as something evil or awful. They wanted to show a friend a world we knew about and loved. They made sure it was Bill's choice to smoke. It was not a devious act intended to embarrass someone else, and they felt terrible about it. They tried their best to calm him down, and it didn't work because he couldn't trust them. I cannot stress this enough. The first time you smoke, make sure you trust your Sherpa. Spazzing out and not listening to people trying to help you is annoying and it's hurtful. Sometimes people will have a negative reaction or just not like the high. And that's okay. Not listening and being childish is not a part of getting high. That's your personality that does that. If you were looking for any advice when you were going to try smoking weed, start small. And if you don't feel it, wait another 20 minutes after that. Make note of the time because your internal clock just got thrown out the window. The best recommendation I can give you is avoid edibles and bongs when you're a first-timer. They're going to hit you like a transport truck. Have a puff off a pipe or a drag on a joint and just mellow. I got the impression from my quick convo with the neighbors that it was an ordeal trying to get Bill to be cool. Hang out. Eat something shower, take a fucking nap. Bill had made up his mind that being chill was not his path for the night. Bill went to the front desk and requested an ambulance. The guys felt guilty, but weed was illegal, so they hid in their room and played Nintendo GameCube. We were all kids, and no one wants the ire of any kind of authority on them, like cops or resident advisors. Remember when we thought they were an actual thing? It was just too much heat. And what would they do if they got kicked off res? How would they explain that to their parents? Bill might not have been able to handle his shit. Bill might have thought that they had laced the weed with something nefarious. But Bill was not a narc. The word narc is slang or shorthand for narcotics agent. A federal agent or police officer who specializes in the laws dealing with illegal drugs. Narc is sometimes also used to mean police informant, 
someone who secretly gives inside information to the police, informing on others who are engaging in illegal activity. I will always have Bill's back because he did not narc. Bill was a good guy and I didn't want to leave him alone to deal with this situation. Also, I had an alibi and wanted to know what he was saying because I'm nosy by nature. I have a vague memory of knowing how annoying this whole process was going to be, so I got a little high and I wandered down to the front desk and asked to see Bill, just so I could check up on him as his roommate, of course. He was in the back office with the paramedics. Cannabis affects your short-term memory, so details in any and all of these stories will vary in the retelling. What follows is not a story about me being a good friend. I never claimed to be a great person. And anyways, good and bad is all relative, so just don't judge me too harshly. Bill was lying down with his eyes shut, complaining about his heart racing. One of the paramedics took me aside to ask me a few questions. Bill was convinced that he was having a heart attack because the guys had laced the weed with something. Growing up, this was always a threat that was put out by schools, police, and any authority figure of all stripes. You can't trust the weed because drug dealers can and will put other stronger drugs into their marijuana. Why? I couldn't tell you, but it's just something that was always in the back of your mind, especially when you were new to the drug community. This paramedic was straight out of law and order. When he took me aside, I was told I wasn't in any trouble, that they just needed to know what exactly was put into the weed so they could properly assess and help Bill. What followed was a five-minute back and forth of what drugs might have been in there. All right, son. What was it? Meth? Coke? Crack? Angel's dust? Special K? Ecstasy? Heroin? Nope. 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 All the while, I was trying not to giggle as Bill interjected theories on how the pot could have been laced. The paramedic let out a long sigh and mumbled under his breath, If this is just weed, then why the fuck am I here? It was a small room, so Bill must have heard. Bill was offered the opportunity to go back upstairs and sleep it off, but he was adamant that he wanted to get his heart looked at. Bill couldn't even trust the paramedics. I think he wanted to get a blood test to find out how much heroin they put in there. This is what I meant by saying, if you can't trust your Sherpa, it's insulting. It hurts. Potheads are not hardcore drug enthusiasts. We just have to deal with them while buying our shit. Ask yourself, how did Bill actually see us? Pot changes people's perceptions, sure, but it's built on the mentality you have going in. Since Bill demanded to go to the hospital, the paramedics had to go along with it. I had to go because I realized what a good story this would eventually become. After the annoyance wears off and it can be funny again. What then transpired was a 15 minute drive of me and the cute paramedic lady in the front seat making fun of Bill for not being able to handle his shit. Five minutes in, she remembered to close the window into the back. Again, looking back, I am sure Bill was probably listening, but he never brought it up, so I pretended like it never happened. Thanks, Bill. That was a great gift from you, buddy. When we got to the hospital, his aunt met him there. She thanked me for my loyalty and for getting him there and making sure he was okay. And just as quickly as that, I was forgotten and left to walk home in the snow at midnight 
which took over an hour. I feel like I've earned the right to laugh at this, because karma is a bitch and I deserved it for enjoying his terrible day. I think the Germans call that schadenfreude. Thankfully, this time I had on proper shoes and a coat, so it wasn't as bad as it could have been. This is the day I finally accepted people in authority didn't really care about weed. It is so hard to express this to you, what it was like in the bad old days. Getting caught with a couple grams of weed could mean that your entire life could be thrown into chaos. Presidents denied their use of it. People went to jail for years. In the States, prison guard union lobbyists fight hard to keep weed illegal because three-strike potheads are a lot easier to deal with than murderers. Keep the prisons full of non-violent offenders makes other people's jobs safer and easier. I get the cold calculation, but I find it extremely distasteful. I know someone in the military that nearly got caught. He had smoked up before he joined, and after entering, rarely, if ever, partook. So Buddy was on course in Vancouver, British Columbia, and decided to try the famed BC Bud. Every stoner has those minor dreams of where and with whom it would be amazing to smoke weed. Smoking weed with Willie Nelson or Snoop Dogg, going to Amsterdam and trying the cafes. In Canada, we have BC Bud. I mean, I'm 30 and I occasionally daydream of the pilgrimage out west to try it and see if it can stack up against Canadian Hydro. In Ontario, most of our power is generated by hydro dams. Therefore, hydro refers to indoor-grown weed because hydro powers the grow lights. There's a great debate between indoor and outdoor weeds. I'm not so discerning to turn up my nose uh, either, but indoor is easier to control. No pests, consistent sun, and the water is portioned perfectly. With the best soil you can buy from Home Depot, outdoor is a gamble and requires a lot more time, love, and care. So Buddy tried some of the BC Bud, and when he got back to base, either his actions or smell was enough to raise a flag. Enough to have him pulled aside with the military police demanding a urine test be conducted. There was a series of events that allowed Buddy to walk, with a stern warning if he hypothetically did smoke. Buddy didn't admit to anything. Buddy almost lost his career, a career that he loved. This man is passionate and proud of the work that he does for our nation. He is a loving father and caring husband. So much of that could have been torn away with him if he had just gotten a urine test or slipped up in his story. And then a few short years later, it's no big deal. Our military personnel are allowed to smoke weed now. No one cares as long as it's not on the job. I have been really lucky. I've never been caught smoking weed before. At least not by the police. I could have easily taken a disappointed glare from Popo. Whatever, they don't know me. I was caught by someone much worse. Our head researcher. Mom. Sorry, Mom. I know having me go down this road was never your first choice. Thank you for accepting me and my choices, though. I don't know what was worse, the first time I got caught drinking, or the first time I got caught smoking weed. I got to see the disappointment in my mother's eyes twice. The drinking was bad, but expected. Boys will be boys kind of thing. I was punished terribly for my crimes. I was dragged to a paintball range at 6am and left in the sun for the entire day after drinking a 26er of a liqueur called Hypnotique. I think that, for mom, weed was more disheartening. She was sad and disappointed. 
but even then, I robbed her of the chance to get mad because I was completely honest and polite. Every time she asked me not to do it, I would say, nah, probably going to do it again. The first time mom caught me, she picked me up from a buddy's place. We'd gotten out of school to help with a swim meet doing the timing or something. After the meet, we got back to his parents' house and busted out his bong and got extremely blazed. His bong was named Milkshake. I can still picture this thing in my head. It was red plastic with a metal piece. Damn, that thing is historic for our friends group. I it, I can't imagine how many bongs must have been ripped out of Milkshake. I wonder if it's still kicking around. So me and Buddy got wildly high, watched cartoons, played video games, and ate a mountain of pierogies. When my mom picked me up, I was trying to compensate for how high I was, and I started talking a mile a minute. I thought I was so friggin' smart. The way I was talking, or just a mother's intuition, mom blurted out a question. Are you high? Why I answered honestly is beyond me, but I told her yes. Oh, did I ever catch shit. Mom made some great points about the damage I was doing to my body. Loudly. How I might be throwing my life away. How I am not that bright to begin with and killing brain cells, smoking the grass, might be a risk I can't afford because I'm already an idiot. I think I started laughing because she kept referring to it as Mary Jane, like some kind of 1950s anti-drug ad. To her credit, in the middle of this dressing down, she stopped. And the next words out of her mouth were, well, I suppose you've got the munchies. I mean, I was already busted. I'm not going to go turn down food. Since she was paying, I had to go high-end, and I asked for Dairy Queen. Of all the fast food chains, Dairy Queen's flamethrower burger has got to be number two. Number one being the Whopper from Burger King. Mom isn't an advocate for my pot use. Not that she isn't supportive of me making my own choices, because so far I've made decent choices. And work hard for everything that I have. She just doesn't believe I need a substance to be happy. I wish mom was right, and I love her for the fact that she believes that might be possible for me. Mom caught me several more times over the years. Once, after I moved out, I didn't have the chance to sneak my bong and pipe collection out with me. I had some really nice pieces, and they all got thrown out, which... I'm over now, and I think it's pretty reasonable. I should never have brought it into her home. There was also the time that I uh, was staying at college for the summer break to work for the city, and she was passing through town. This being the time before cell phones, she dropped by unannounced. Which would have been really nice, but it happened to coincide with my first and only experience with hot knives. Hot knives are when you take two butter knives and put it into an element of your stove and heat them up to the point that they're glowing red hot. A piece of hash is sandwiched between them and placed into a 2-liter pop bottle with the bottom cut off. The smoldering hash fills the container. When you feel like you have enough smoke, take the lid off and inhale. I didn't think I was that high walking out the door to talk to mom, but god damn, hash is strong. Come to think of it, I don't think I have had a chance to smoke hash since. Mom was very tolerant of me. She endured my mumbled speech about how work was going. What I am reminded on a bi-yearly basis was when she was shaking her head at how high her son was on a Saturday afternoon. I tried to cheer her up with a series of Three Stooges impressions. It was a wise guy, eh? 
My comedy will never be appreciated in my time. I think that it's important to remember that there were and are real dangers to smoking weed. I grew up with the PSA about dealers lacing weed. Urban legends spread by teachers of people putting out edibles and Halloween candy. This all seemed like nonsense to me. It's hard once you're indoctrinated into the cult of cannabis to really pull your head out of the smoke and look objectively. You don't want to believe that it can be since it's something that makes you feel good. The knee-jerk response we all have since what we do is still a little outside the mainstream is to get defensive. Oh yeah, well alcohol and tobacco have addictive properties that killed a bunch of people in the previous year. I pulled this from Health Canada. Data from the Canadian Institute of Health Information, CIHI, show 10 Canadians die in hospital every day from harm caused by substance use, and 75% of those deaths are related to alcohol. Zero deaths to cannabis. That being said, beware the hippies, my friend. Beware the hippies. There's a strong inner push to cure yourself these days. A distrust of the establishment and experts. I mumble to you now with the poster boards hanging behind me outlining the next conspiracy theories I want to look into, so I get it. But doctors aren't all bad. Yes, we are over-medicated and that's causing some problems, but they're professionals and they've been trained with regulations and laws governing their actions. Cannabis medicine is largely unregulated, and the second money comes into anything, shady people show up. People that don't care about the plants or the culture. And they trick themselves into believing their own hype. Because they have this innate greed. There's a lot of snake oil out there, so be careful. Much of the tinctures, ointments, pills, and edibles are all untested and unregulated. That being said, there is a lot of progress using cannabis for mental and physical maladies. But self-medicating is always dangerous. Believe me, I have seen a few good friends go from charismatic, if not shy guys, to housebound introverts. When all you want is to feel okay, go to work, to go get enough money, to buy more weed, to feel okay again, you might be in trouble. Using weed to solve your problems is extremely dangerous. It helps cover the hurt, but weed does not cure what's hurting you. There is professional help out there if you are lost, if you're hurting. If you're sad, reach out to a professional. One of the best things about living in the world we live in now is no one is going to take your weed away from you. But you're too awesome and the world is too amazing to withdraw from completely. So get some help. We'll be here. If y'all enjoyed this app, I want to do another cannabis episode later on. Reach out and email me your funny stories or horror stories at beardedandboard at gmail.com. B-E-A-R-D-E-D-A-N-D-B-O-R-E-D at gmail.com. In the next app, I want to cover more in depth the fact that some of these urban legends have come true, like the synthetic weeds. If you can purchase legally, I suggest that you take some time and reflection before you go back to the black market. Synthetic weed is out there and weed laced with fentanyl has been going around. This is really scary, so be careful. As well, there's a small percentage of people out there that can have an allergic reaction to cannabis. 
it could manifest itself in a psychotic-like break. This is just from normal weed hitting the person and they're just not built for it. I don't know much about this yet, but I want to learn more and share about it. That'll do it for this week. Don't forget the owl at the moon. Hoot hoot.